is about. I pray that our hearts would be enriched by the truth that we hear. I pray that our inner man would be strengthened and that we would be on fire so that others might hear the truth about Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to stand strong in the midst of whatever you allow so that your name would be honored and so that our endurance would be strengthened and we would be prepared for the glory to come. Prepare our hearts now to receive what you have prepared for us in Christ's name. Amen. Well, please take your Bibles with me and turn to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. I want to begin our time tonight by reading uh, from verse 16 through the end of the chapter. And we're going to finish up this chapter tonight, probably one of the most important chapters in all of John's gospel, because these are the final words of Jesus Christ teaching, really, to those whom he came to earth for and for those whom are walking with him at this time. And so follow along as I begin to read from verse 16. John says, A little while, and you will no longer behold me, and again a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples therefore said to one another, What is this thing he is telling us? A little while, and you will not behold me, and again a little while, and you will see me, and because I go to the Father. And so they were saying, What is this he, that he says, a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wished to question him, and he said to them, Are you deliberating together about this, that I said a little while, and you will not behold me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Whenever a woman is in travail, she has sorrow, because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she remembers the anguish no more for joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too now have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one takes your joy away from you. And in that day, you will ask me no question. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you shall ask the Father for anything, he will give it to you in my name. Until now you have asked for, asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will speak no more to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say that to you that I will request the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. 
And yet I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. The more I read this chapter, the more I ponder on the words that are here recorded for us by the Apostle John, the more I think about the disciples who were with Jesus at the time of this moment, the more comfort I sense for our own time and even for my own life. I love the words that Jesus begins in this chapter. I love the words he begins with. He says, these things I have spoken to you that you may be kept from stumbling. I love those words. Jesus is concerned about his disciples. He's concerned how they will be when he's not physically with them. And so he says, these things I have spoken to you. In other words, everything that I have said from the time the night began and even more so in a larger scope from the time that I have been with you all along. Everything that I have said, everything from the first thing to the time that now we gathered in the upper room together and I began to teach you about servanthood, everything I said about servanthood, all that you would receive when the Holy Spirit would be sent after I'm gone to you, everything I've said about the difficulty that would come your way because of the hatred that is in the world for God and therefore for me, and you are identified with me. I have spoken all of this so that you may be kept from stumbling. I told you these things so that when it happens, you won't be confused. So that when it happens, you won't be overwhelmed by the circumstances. So that when the tribulation comes, you won't be scandalized in your own heart about what is happening. That's the original word, scandalizo. It's it's, don't be scandalized. I want, to, I, I want you to be kept from being scandalized so you won't think that following me was a waste of your life. I told you all of this because I love you. I love you. Jesus was about to say this again. We heard it in the final verse as I read this chapter. He says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. It's wonderful. Just like the disciples that that night, so too for us. It's wonderful that Jesus doesn't want us to stumble in our faith. It's wonderful that Jesus wants us to have peace as we are here on this earth. Why does he need to tell us that? Why does he say to these disciples, these things I've spoken to you, why does he find it needful to tell them that, and I've spoken these things so that you might have peace? Well, the truth is we need to hear it. We need to preach it to ourselves. Why? Because we're so prone to lose heart. 
We live in a world of trouble. We talked a little bit about that even tonight as you were sharing some of the testimonies about how God has worked in your own life. We live in a world filled with all kinds of sinful confusion. We live by faith in someone we cannot see as Christians. Our hearts and thereby our lives get anxious in times of trouble. When the circumstances of life are troubling and difficult, it's easy for us to begin to wander, to be troubled, to be anxious. Jesus doesn't want that for us, and so he tells us ahead of time what will take place. He tells his disciples ahead of time, this is what's going to happen. But how does that happen? How were these guys going to be kept from stumbling And how would they be taken to the place where they were at real peace with all that is happening in life in spite of the circumstances? Well, first, Jesus said you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. Remember? Verses 5 to 15. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. We looked at that some weeks ago. You you don't have to stumble and you can be at peace in whatever circumstance life brings and whatever circumstance the providence of the Father sends your way. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit to indwell you. He will lead you in the truth. And through the truth, the world is going to be convicted about sin, verse 8. They're going to be convicted about righteousness. They're going to be convicted about judgment through the testimony of the truth that you will proclaim to them. Yes, trouble will come, but you have the Spirit as a guarantee of your eternal relationship. So you don't have to stumble. You can be at peace. That's the first reason for your peace. You have the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, you don't have to stumble and you can be at peace because the resurrection is an absolute reality. The resurrection is an absolute reality. We saw that in verses 16 through 22. Jesus says to them, yes, I'm going away. A little while you will not behold me. I'm going away, but you will see me again and you will see me again real soon. And so what seems to be a sorrowful moment will be understood by you to be the most joyous circumstance you had ever had in your life. Sure, the world is going to rejoice because they are thinking they are doing the right thing by killing me. They're going to rejoice at what's happening, but when the resurrection happens, your heart will rejoice with an unquenchable joy. No one will be able to take your joy away from you, he says in verse 22. Because I live, so too you live. That's the implication. And so Jesus says, listen, you don't need to be stumbling. You don't need to stumble in your face. You can have real peace because you have the Spirit with you and you have been raised from the dead. And then there's a third reality that I want to look at tonight. You don't need to stumble. You can have peace. Why? Because you have full access to the Father. Because you have full access to the Father. Verses 23 through 27 tell us this. And in that day you will ask me no question. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, if you shall ask the Father for anything, he will give it to you in my name. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. These things I have spoken to you in parables or in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will speak no more in that kind of way, in that figurative language, but you will, but I, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will request the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. What is Jesus saying? Well, he's saying that we can have peace here and now because of prayer. Prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Before his death, the disciples either asked him directly for whatever they needed, or they prayed to the Father as Jesus had taught them to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Right? Pray in this way. Our Father who art in heaven, and we call that the Lord's Prayer. But after the death of Christ, those who believed upon Jesus Christ, which includes you and I, we go to God in the name of Jesus. That's not some kind of magical addition to the end of a prayer, that why we say in Jesus' name. That's not... That's not why we pray that way, so as some way to guarantee that whatever it is we ask for, we will get it. That's how the false teachers of our day pray, because they're praying to a God of their own making, a God who they think they can manipulate. They truly believe that if they simply say the name Jesus with their so-called prayers, then God the Father is obligated to give them whatever they ask. That's not what Jesus is implying here. He's not implying in any way that God the Father is obligated to give us anything we ask by attaching His name to it. Why? Because prayer in the name of Jesus means to come to God the Father on the basis of the merit of Jesus Christ. We come to God in prayer on the basis of the merit of Jesus Christ and not on our own merit. In other words, we come to God the Father in Jesus' name because it is through and it is by Jesus Christ that we have access to God the Father. It is utter foolishness for us to think that we can enter into the presence of God in prayer by means of our own name or by means of our own merit. So when Jesus says to his disciples that they can ask the Father directly, he is saying to them that they will be able to do that because of who he is and what he is doing. Until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full, it says. That kind of access to God was unheard of for the Jew. That kind of free access into the presence of God the Father was unheard of for the Jewish mind. The only access to God was through the priest. And only the high priest could get access to God once a year as long as he had the right atoning 
sacrifice with him. And now Jesus says, don't be troubled. Don't stumble in your faith. You have direct access to the Father through me. What a promise. What a promise. But that's not all you have, he says. That's not all you have. Because praying in Jesus' name means that when we pray, we come to God and we come in concert with the very character and desires of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. We come in concert with Christ. We come uh, with the desires of Jesus Christ. That means that when we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, it is as if Christ would want what we are praying for. It's as if His desires are being expressed to the Father. So it isn't coming to God so that we can get what we desire. That's not what we do when we pray. It's not what we are to be doing when we pray. Prayer is a means by which God does what He wants through us. That's what prayer is. A means for God to accomplish what He wants through us. Oswald Chambers, years ago, wrote and said this, Prayer is not so much for us to get answers from God, but rather perfect and complete oneness with God. Prayer is not so much for us to get answers from God, but rather perfect and complete oneness with God. It's that idea, that concert with God, that that union with God, the desires of Christ. And that implies that we must know the desires of Christ. When we pray, when we go before God in the name of Jesus Christ, we must know what it is God would have. And that happens when we're doing what we talked about this morning, when we're following the lead of the Holy Spirit. So that our hearts are so in tune with our Savior by means of knowing His Word, that we pray for the things that He desires. Again, notice what Jesus says in this text. Verse 25, These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but an hour is coming when I will speak no more in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day I will ask, or you will ask in my name, and I do not say that you will request the, I will request the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. And Jesus is saying, listen, listen, guys, there are some things you don't fully understand now because you have not yet had the Spirit in you. The Spirit is yet to come. But in that day, after, you have, after I have been raised from the dead, after you receive the Spirit, your confusion is going to be gone. Verse 26, In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say that, you, that I will request the Father on your behalf. That's what used to happen. In that day you will ask the Father in my name. And it won't be me asking the Father for you. Now it will be you directly going to the Father and He will listen to you. Why? 
because he loves you, verse 27. Because he loves you. I was thinking about this. There's nothing better in this life than to know that you are loved. All of us want to be loved. All of us need to be loved. There's nothing better in this life than to know you are loved and to know that you are loved unconditionally. Sure, we know love in this life, at least on a human level, but even that love is shrouded. Even that love between one another is shrouded. You say, well, what do you mean? I mean that we love each other, but I could just about for sure guarantee that your love is conditional. Why do I say that? Because you don't know everything about the person that you say you love. You don't know their secret thoughts. You don't know the things they have chosen to hold back from you. Each and every one here shares with others the picture of ourselves that we want others to see. That's the inevitable reality of our humanity because we all want to be loved. And deep in us is that fear that if they find out the ugly things about us, they may not love us. And so what do we do? We hide it because we want to be loved. But Jesus tells his disciples, listen, God loves you, it says. God loves you. And God's love is a perfect and truly unconditional love. Jesus says, the Father will listen to you because he loves you. Unconditional. Unconditional simply means that God's love is a love for you even though he perfectly knows everything about you. God knows your bitternesses, and he loves you. God knows the dark secrets that you would never share with others, but he loves you. He sees clearly all that you have ever done sinfully, and he loves you. He sees when your hypocrisy is unseen by others. And He loves you. He knows all things about you and He loves you. Why? Because you love His Son. For the Father Himself loves you because, Jesus says, you have loved Me. Because you have believed what God has said and you believed that Jesus is God. So this is the final reality about how we are kept from stumbling and have peace in times of uncertainty. What's the final reality? It's faith. I told you these things that you would be kept from stumbling. I told you these things that you might have peace. And what anchors us in that reality is faith. We believe what God said concerning His Son. 
What keeps us from stumbling and what keeps us in the place of peace is faith in what God has said. Jesus says that God hears our prayers in the name of Jesus because the Father loves us and he answers our prayer so that we might be joyful. That's what verse 24 says. Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. That's exactly what the disciples experienced. It's the experience of all those who pray in the name of Jesus Christ. We need to realize this. This is the the final lesson from Jesus Christ about the relationship between peace in the midst of uncertainty. The final lesson, faith. Faith. Verse 28, he begins to tie all these loose ends together. And he says, I came forth from the Father, and I have come into the world. I'm leaving the world again, and I'm going to the Father. And the disciples respond in 29 and 30, Lo, now you're speaking plainly. Now you're not talking in some kind of parable and figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Oh, Jesus, now we get it. Now we understand what you've been saying all along. They're pretty proud of themselves. They're beginning to see the light. They had listened to his teaching from day one. They're beginning to understand. They, they're beginning to, to grasp the reality of the coming of the Holy Spirit, even though they haven't received the Spirit yet. They're beginning to understand what Jesus meant about the resurrection. They had listened with intensity about this new door open to them through prayer. Direct access to the Father. Jesus had just assured them about the love of the Father for them. But what they really didn't realize about themselves was that they needed to live according to what they said they believed. And so Jesus asks them the bigger question. Verse 31, do you now believe? Do you now believe? Isn't that really the question that we all have to come to grips with in our own lives? That's really the question. Do we really believe what Jesus said? Do we really believe it? Because that is the the proverbial line in the sand between stumbling and peace in times of uncertainty. That's really the the demarcation line between those who are stumbling in their faith and those who are in peace. In the same circumstance, do we believe? Do we believe that the Holy Spirit is actually within us? Do we believe that it is to our advantage that Jesus is not here physically right now? He said it is. 
Do we believe that the resurrection has happened and that when Jesus rose from the dead, that all who believe upon him were in fact raised with him and that we are alive and we will never die again? Do we believe that? Do we believe that God actually and unconditionally loves us? And because He loves us, we can, in the name of Jesus, go to Him with any concern on our heart and He will hear us. He will receive us and He will answer us so that our joy is full. Do we believe that? Do we believe that God has given us every answer that we need in His Word so that we know what He desires and those become our desires? See, the issue is, do we believe? That's the issue Jesus is presenting right there with His disciples. Not many more words is he going to say to them. They're going to hear him pray. He's going to march into the garden. And in moments after that, the men are going to come and arrest him. The only other words they will hear Jesus say from that time are the words that they hear him say from the cross. So these are very important words for them. Jesus is saying to them, do you believe? You see, that is the ongoing question for all of us as we live each and every day, as we are Christians, as we are dealing with life, as the tribulations and struggles and trials and circumstances of life come our way. Are we living as believers? Are we living as believers? It's so easy not to. It's so easy not to. Notice Jesus' prophecy to them right in the next verse. Look how easy it is not to. Behold, do you believe? Behold, the assumption is all of them are answering. We just said we believe. Jesus is saying, do you really believe? Behold, the hour is coming, an hour is coming, and in fact it already has come for you to be scattered, each to his home, and you will leave me alone And you need to know I'm not alone because the Father is with me. They said they believed. And yet in just a few short moments, they would be face to face with uncertainty. I find it rather sadly ironic that that verse is a microcosm in picture of my very life. Lord, I believe you. Ah! The next moment. How do we not do the very same thing? How do we not do it? How do we not scatter when trouble comes? Verse 33 gives us the answer. The final earthly teaching of our Lord. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. 
realize there is no peace outside of Jesus Christ. There is no peace outside of faith in Him. There is no peace outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no sense of any kind of peace. That is why the world has no answers. This is why the world has no way of solving their issues. This is why the world has to do everything it can to try to escape the circumstance for whatever way it's in, whether it's through some kind of medication, some kind of beverage, some kind of escapism, whatever it is, to escape the situation Outside of Jesus Christ, there is no peace regardless of the circumstances. But Jesus says, in Him you have peace. Peace comes in Jesus Christ and by remembering what Jesus Christ has said. Jesus said, I told you these things so that in me you might have peace. Jesus said, I told you all of this with a purpose. This wasn't just words. This wasn't just nice things to hear. This wasn't just theories. This wasn't possibilities. I told you this. I spoke these things to you so that the purpose was that you would have peace. Peace is a result in us when we remember what Jesus said and who Jesus is. That's the implication. Peace is a result when we remember what Jesus has said and who Jesus is. What did he say? What did he say? In the world, you have tribulation. In the world, you have tribulation. Tribulation is an interesting word. The word flipsis or means pressure, heavy pressure. Every time I hear that word, whether it's in the Greek language or whether I read it here in this, in the English, tribulation or pressure or however it's, however it's translated, I always think of geology. And I think of how much pressure and heat it takes to turn coal into diamonds. It takes a lot of heat, a lot of pressure, a lot of time. And so, too. In this world, we will have severe pressure from the world. But I love this. Jesus says, take courage. Take courage. By the way, that's a command. Jesus isn't saying you need to be courageous. Look, you, you just need to be courageous. No, that's a command. You take courage. In other words, stop stumbling Stop being depressed. Stop being downtrodden because of the circumstance, because of the world in which you live, because of the tribulation around you. This is the way the world is. This is the way fallenness is. This is the way it is. You take courage. That's your response. You take courage. Be courageous. We might even say, cheer up. That's the idea. Why? Because, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. It's a great word. Nikao means to subdue. To subdue. Literally or figuratively, to conquer, to overcome, to prevail against, to get victory over. 
I have overcome the world. I have conquered the world. I have prevailed against the world. I have gained the victory over the world. I have subdued it. I've done it. And the results last forever. So cheer up, Jesus says. Cheer up. So here's the question. Do we believe it? That's the question. Do we believe it? Jesus did. Jesus did. He believed everything he said and everything he did. And so should we. And when we do, we'll have peace. No matter how uncertain the times may seem, no matter how much our world and our day and the Western culture in which we live and the providential place in which God has raised us up in the day and age in which we live and we live in the best or at least the the most free country in the whole world, no matter how crazy and insane it seems, no matter how ridiculous it seems outside the doors of the church, and the world can't even think straight, there's no coherent thought that seems to be logical and worth anything, no matter how that happens, no matter what is going on, how uncertain, be courageous. Why? Because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Jesus has overcome the world. Wow. Jesus' final words. Don't be, don't stumble. Don't be unpeaceful. Be at peace. I told you all this stuff ahead of time so that you would have that. And the next thing Jesus does is he prays for us. He prays for us. And it's an incredible, incredible prayer. And there's really four things he asks God the Father for. Four things that he asks God the Father for in chapter 17. And it's incredible how secure it is for us. We'll begin to look at those next time. I trust you're at peace. I trust you're courageous. I trust that the way you stand in circumstances will not be as the world does. That you will be stable, secure, at peace. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for tonight. Opportunity to reflect upon what you have done providentially in our own lives through circumstances and difficulties and what the world has brought and the tribulations that we even see around us and those that have even been allowed to be part of our own life. Lord, we pray that our response to them would be just as you have commanded us, that we would be courageous knowing that in the world this is normal, that you've overcome the world. And we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to fret. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to doubt what you have done. For we know that you are 
true. You are the way. You are life. And we believe it. Help us to live it for your glory and for the sake of the gospel. In your name we pray. Amen.